Tell you a little interesting story about a young preacher boy who got out of seminary and went to his first church. It was up in the mountains, up in the hills of, of Tennessee or Arkansas or West Virginia, you know, one of those obscure, way out in the hills type of a place. And, you know, somewhat very much what we might call in the, in the city, a little bit more country, maybe a little bit more backwards, a little bit different than what we're used to. And so he was out making his regular pastoral visits, new on the job, visiting people in the community, getting to know them a little bit better. And so he began to, to go to house to house to house and invite people to come and invite people to trust in Christ. Well, upon a certain evening, just before sunset, he came across a, a, a remote dirt road way out in the middle of the country and he saw a mailbox and he stopped and he got out and as he looked at the mailbox he saw way up very top of the mountain this little cabin up there and he could tell at that cabin there was somebody at home because there was some movement on the front porch it was about two miles up this high mountain to this a little cabin up in the woods probably somewhere close to where David Hodge came from North Carolina David I'm not sure but uh, you know what I'm talking about, those hills up there anyway. And so he climbed that two-mount climb, and out of breath from climbing the hill, he arrived at the front porch, and sure enough, he discovered a man rocking back and forth lazily on his porch. And the conversation went something like this. Howdy, friend. My name is Pastor Jones. What's yours? Callaway's my name. What can I do for you? The minister continued, well, I just came up here to talk to you about some things and to ask you a few questions. Shoot, preacher, replied the mountaineer. Well, the first thing I'd want to know, Mr. Calloway, is have you made peace with God? Peace with God, answered the Calloway. Me and God ain't never had no argument. No, 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 you don't understand, Mr. Calloway. Are you a Christian? No, I ain't no Christian preacher. I just told you my name is Calloway. The Christians live four mountains up the road. Mr. Calloway, I'm having a hard time getting through to you. What I really want to know is this, are you lost? No, preacher, I ain't lost. I've been living in these here mountains for all my life. I know these hills like the back of my hand. Mr. Calloway, what I really want to know is this, are you ready for judgment day? Judgment day? When's that going to be? The young minister replied, well, Mr. Calloway, it could be today or it could be tomorrow. Well, land sakes alive, Parson, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about the judgment and had a failure to communicate? You know, there are several responses to the judgment day, and sometimes the response to the judgment day is similar to what this young pastor discovered in the hills around his church. There are some people just flat out uneducated about the coming judgment of God. They have no information. They have no understanding. They don't know anything about it. Matter of fact, like this guy, when you talk about it, they'll think it's something like some sale going on this weekend that I went to over there where they normally sell guns. It's a, it's a, it's a women's craft show. How many of you went to that this weekend? I was surrounded by more women. It was horrible. 
I was looking for the guns that I saw there the last time I was there at the gun show. But uh, I went through that. Actually, as I was sleeping at night, I told Pat, I said, I'm, I'm envisioning going through those crowded, you know, those things and seeing all that, that, that girly stuff everywhere. Those, they call them antiques or they call them, um, what is it? The, the, what's the show? The, it's a vintage show. Guys, don't be mistaken by the word vintage. It stands for decorations. That's what it stands for. And, uh, but I had a little bit of fun, and I love being with my wife, and that's what she enjoyed. I took her to see a movie the day before that I liked, and she had her eyes closed most of the time. It was the new Bond movie that's out, so um, we took turns. I walked around like this during that vintage show, and she went like that through the movie, you know, through the movie so we, we had our, our turn. See, I just had a leash, and she would just guide me around. That's why that worked. Anyway. <laughs> There are some people who reacted to the judgment in disbelief. They've heard about the judgment, but they disbelieve in it. They disbelieve in it primarily because they disbelieve in Christ. They disbelieve in the Word of God. They've heard about it. They understand what some of us who call ourselves Christians talk about and describe in the judgment, but they just completely disbelieve. They disregard it as if it's something that it's for those wacky Christians, and the fact is that it's not a reality. It's never going to happen. That's just a myth. Then there are some who have heard about it and they've trusted in Christ and they believe that it's coming, but for whatever reason, they've become callous in regard to the judgment. They've become indifferent. They sort of lackadaisically just kind of meander their way through life not anticipating in any moment that the trumpet of God's going to blow and that Christ is going to come like the twinkling of an eye and the snap of a fingers and we're going to find ourselves standing before God giving account of our lives. We just meander our way half a daisily, just walking through life, just kind of not really worried about it, complacent, a little bit indifferent, just sort of doing our own thing, knowing that it's coming, but not really prepared. And then there's some of us who have heard about the judgment coming, and we're what I call the zealots. Those are the people who have bought into the reality that judgment is coming, and I want to do everything that I can to prepare myself for that judgment, and I want to do everything I can to warn others that judgment is coming. And so I'm quick to, to, to talk about my witness and to tell others about Christ because I don't want them to be caught unprepared, and as a result of that, I'm giving all of my time, my effort, my energy, my resources so that that might not happen to evangelize not only those in my community, those in my state, those in my nation, but those around the world. Because I believe that one of these days, we're all going to stand before God. These are the, the, the really committed to the Lord Jesus Christ who understand the importance and the urgency of being prepared for the judgment of God. So I ask you, what is your place? What is your position in regard to the judgment of God? For in a group like this, more than likely there's one or two of us or some more than that in each and every one of those categories. You completely disbelieve it. Uh, maybe you, 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 you've not really heard much about it, so you don't understand what's coming and what's happening and how to be prepared. Maybe some of us here this morning are just sort of flippantly, casually living our lives, sort of indifferent to the fact that maybe one of these days is going to happen, but they've been talking about it for so long that I don't believe any more that's going to happen. And then there's some of us who are really zealous about being urgent in the matter of being prepared ourselves and helping others to prepare. So where are you in respect to this judgment that's coming? Judgment is coming. The Word of God says that it is in more places than just this one. 
And like the days of Noah, there are many going to be caught unprepared and not ready for the judgment that is sure to come, not only to this world, but to the United States of America. And so the question is, are we going to be saved from the coming judgment when it actually happens? I want us to go to Genesis chapter 19, beginning with verse 12 today. And I want us to look at Lot, who was saved from the coming judgment. God was about to bring judgment on Sodom. Let me catch you up a little bit about where we've been so far in the story. In Genesis chapter 18, we saw three unknown people coming toward Abraham while he's sitting in the front door of his tent. And he runs out to greet them, and he recognizes that one of the three strangers is, in fact, the Lord himself. It is Yahweh. And he bows before God, and he worships him. He invites him to a meal, and the meal invitation is accepted. And they sit around the table, and they share a meal together. And following the meal, the Lord has a message not only for Abraham, but for his wife, that they are soon to have a child biologically and they're going to name him Isaac and he is going to be the answered promised child of all of the promises that God has bestowed upon Abraham because God has promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand on the earth. And Isaac is going to be the fulfillment of that promise. What a wonderful message. And then the three who have given that message begin to proceed out the door and continue their journey. And Abraham, being the great host that he was, begins to journey with them. He not only follows them out to the door, not only to the front gate, not only into the street, but goes a little bit further than is customary and that is normal for a good host to do. And in that time of conversation, we see that the two angels leave and proceed to go to Sodom. And the Lord and Abraham have a discussion in which Abraham pleads and he begs for God not to bring about judgment upon Sodom. Lord, give them more time. What if there's 50? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? And what if there are 10 righteous? Will you stay your judgment? And God said, I will. But God knows in advance there are not 10 righteous people in Sodom. And then that company parts, and the two angels arrive in the city. And we saw in Genesis 19, as the two angels who appear as men walk through the city gates, they are seen by everyone there. Tall, handsome, beautiful, attractive beings. Pure, clean, holy, angelic beings walking through the city gates. And not only do the city people see them, but also Lot, who's seated at the gate in a position of power then invites them home for dinner, for a meal. And they share a meal together. And at the conclusion of that meal, there's a knock on the door and there's a demand by the mob. All of the men, all of the men of the city of Sodom have surrounded Lot's home and they are demanding that he give them the two angels for their own physical pleasures. And Lot, being the good host that he is, offers them his daughters instead. They reject the daughters. And as they are trying to beat through, past Lot and beat down the door, the angels strike them with blindness, and they're unable to penetrate the barricade that's there. But they continue their pursuit of the two angelic beings. That's where we are today. And here we see in Genesis chapter 19, verse 22... This very important message on how we 
can be saved from the coming judgment. For Lot was saved. You ask, well, why would God want to save anyone from the coming judgment? In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone, but all should reach and escape judgment through repentance. God does not want people to perish, to die, and to be judged. That's not his will. That's not his desire. That's not his purpose. For if it was, he would have never given us, given us Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He gave Jesus as the antidote, as the answer, as the solution, as the response by which we can place our faith and trust in Christ and through faith in Christ as our Savior and committing to him the lordship of our lives, we, like Lot today, can be saved from the coming judgment. So how can we, like Lot, in our biblical reference... Be saved from the coming judgment. Number one, we need to acquire the truth. It's important that we acquire the truth. That's what Lot did. He gained access to the truth. Notice in verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Notice that the two angels now become messengers. They have been ministers that have protected Lot and protected his daughter so far from the mob, the men that have been pounding and trying to get past Lot and the protection there to, to, to take them. They have provided protection, ministers of grace. They have sat at the table, and now they assume the position and the responsibility of being the messengers now who are going to tell Lot the exact reason why they are there. And in order for us to hear or to acquire the truth, there has to be a messenger that declares that truth. And these messengers are sent by God to give to Lot the message of the truth. Now notice the message described. He's saying to them, God's about to destroy Sodom. And if you have any family members at all, you need to gather your family and get out of town. Get out of Dodge. You need to run. That's the message. Judgment is coming. Gather your family and get out of town. Trust the word of the Lord that judgment is coming and you need to gather your family and get out of town. Why? Because their mission is to destroy, to annihilate, to liquidate, to terminate the city of Sodom. It's going to be nothing left after they're done but ashes and smoke and they must leave or if they do not, they too will be destroyed with Sodom. That's the message. And if you notice in the message, there's a motive for this destruction, for this judgment. And we learned that earlier in the discussion that Abraham had with the Lord. Almost the same discussion here with a few minor details left out. It's because the reason, the mission, or the motive for this, this destruction is because of their sin, first against God and secondly against man. And the outcry against the Sodomites have finally reached the ear of the Lord and his patience now has been exhausted. It is over. It is time now for the judgment. And the moment for that judgment is about to happen. And they, as the messengers, these two angels, are warning Lot, gather your family, get out of town because judgment is coming. Get right with God and be reconciled with him and remove yourself from the city because judgment is coming. He acquired the truth. Secondly, we notice that we need to accept personally that truth. 
For to acquire the truth of the coming judgment, but not accept it personally, to not place our faith and trust in the message that the messengers bring, is, is in fact not then to be saved. We must accept personally. It must become ours in a responsibility to embrace that truth and to make it ours. Notice the text. He says, so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters... How did he respond? So Lot went out. That was an immediate response. It was an immediate reaction to, to think about his wife and his two daughters. And they were already in the home, in the safety, and under the protection of these ministers of God, these two angels, as the, the, the home was more than likely still surrounded by these blind men, this mob seeking still to pursue these two angels. And so he somehow finds a way under the protection of God to leave his home and to make his way to find his sons-in-law. There were two of them. He had two daughters. Remember we studied last week? They were two daughters who were, who, were, who were virgins, who were godly, who were righteous women. And they were engaged. They were betrothed to be married to two sodomites, two unbelievers, two pagans. And so Lot finds them out. And he, he gives them a request. He, he, he issues a request. I want you guys to get up. And to get out of town with us. Get up and get out. That's the message. The reason to get up and get out is because judgment is coming. I mean, that's the reason. And, and, and Lot somewhat believes it, but he doesn't completely believe it because we know that he's not totally convinced, I believe, because of the reaction of the men. If you look at their reaction, he says, Up, get up out of your place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be what? To be jesting. They thought he was playing a hoax or playing a joke on them. The idea of jesting implies to me laughter. That there was a lack of conviction on his part to convince them that judgment was going to come upon Sodom and, and they needed to come with him and to get up and get out of the city and to join them in this, in this escape because judgment is coming. And they thought he was jesting. Now, there's a laughter, there's a, there's a, uh, a response, I think, that sometimes the world gives us when we talk about Christ and the, the, the condemnation that's brought about because of sin. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wage of that sin is death. It's judgment. And, and when they hear that and recognize that, they laugh. Not because they think we're jesting, but they laugh in disbelief as if to just, <laughs> you're insane, man. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're a fanatic. You're one of those people. And they laugh and they shrug us off. I, I get that part. But this laughter here is not one of just, you know, get out of my face, man. You're, you're some religious nuthead who's, who's trying to, you know, push your religion on me, it's not that kind of response. It's a response of, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're joking, man. I, I can tell by your mannerisms and by the, the tone of your voice and the way it's being talked about, you're not really convinced yourself that it's going to happen. And, and, and we think you're, you're joking. We think you're pulling our leg. And they didn't accept it personally. And I'm not so sure at this point in, in, in his witness that Lot himself was totally and completely convinced that judgment was coming. I think today we have many in the church today who want to sort of paint a, this brushing picture over God as, as a loving, kind, gracious, empathetic, sympathetic, gracious God and 
a God that I, that I have painted this beautiful picture of and all these wonderful attributes and characteristics and, and all this wonderful nature, he would never, ever, ever judge anyone and condemn them. He, w- he would not do that. And so they have this tendency to, to believe partially in what God has said, but not completely in the fact that judgment is coming. And I think Lot maybe had a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of insecurity and his conviction level was not quite there and I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people who claim to believe in Jesus but don't claim to believe in hell or they don't believe that judgment is coming that God is going to hold people accountable for their sins and that that one of these days Judgment will come. There's a personal accountability here, I think, and a responsibility that we have. And I think sometimes there have been many of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ for what I might call fire insurance. We don't want to be judged, and we are scared into making a decision for Christ. And I don't think those are are decisions that are very solid and very life-altering or life-changing or very transformational. But I do think that we need to make sure that we understand that there is a day of reckoning. There's a day of accountability. And we must personally become ready for that day of accountability and accept that reality. For one of these days, we will stand before the judge. And we will be judged for our faith, our lack of faith. Thirdly, we need to avoid delay. I find in this interesting, this passage, that, that Lot in his response, there was a delay in responding to the warning of the angels. I mean, I, I find it fascinating that, that Lot was in this room, in his house, and these two angels were powerful enough to, to make all of the men of the city of, of Sodom blind to the fact that they were not able to, to fulfill or accomplish their mission of, of grabbing the two angels and, and being involved in physical intercourse with them. The angels were powerful enough to do that. You would think that when you have two people that have sat at your table with that kind of power and they then told you that the wrath of God was about to come upon Sodom, what would be your response? Would you be packing your bags as soon as you heard about it? Really? Lot well, didn't. Notice the delay. Notice the command from the angels, as morning dawned. That's the time. The the morning is is beginning. The sun is rising. The angels urge Lot, saying, notice they are saying to Lot, trust what we are saying, Lot. Trust our words. These are words from the Lord. These are words from the Lord. Trust them. I want you to get up. There again, that get up. I don't know what it is that, that we, we have, whether it's spiritually, mentally, physically, we have a tendency to want to plop ourselves down and just kind of linger where we are. We're not in much of a hurry. He says, get up. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Gather your family and run, man, because judgment is coming. That's the command from the Lord. These angels are declaring a message. This is the moment. This is the time. You need to get out. Notice his complacency, verse 16, but he lingered. He lingered. Would that be your response? 
He lingered. That means he, he, he didn't get in a hurry. He moved. I'm coming. You were on the way to church this morning, and you were trying to get some of your family members to come, and they weren't moving in a hurry, were they? Your face is fine. Come on. Your hair is okay. That dress is great. Those socks may not match, but it doesn't matter. We got to get to church. It's time. And they lingered. They delayed. He is hesitating. He's not moving very quickly. Why, do you ask? Well, I have a, I have a theory about that. You want to hear my theory? The theory is this. He, he knew that somewhat judgment was coming, and, but, but his, his wife... His wife wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. I know, I'm just getting deep in here. But if you remember, she's the one that looked back. She, she was a nester. And she had planted her nest in Sodom. And she had a home. And she had all of the trinkets and all of the stuff of a beautiful little home that was there. Remember, he was wealthy. And she loved her societal position and, and all the prominence and all the luxury of the city of Sodom. She's going to look back eventually and miss it and going to turn to salt. He's having a hard time convincing his wife, we got to get out of Dodge because judgment is coming. And he knew that if he left, he would more than likely leave her behind. And it's hard to leave the love of your life behind, isn't it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. His two daughters, who were virgins, who were betrothed to marry two sodomites, they didn't want to leave their fiancés behind. They weren't willing participants either. Now, how many of us would leave our two daughters behind? He, he wasn't wanting and willing to do that. He wasn't in a hurry. And the sons-in-law, the two guys, they didn't believe him anyway. So he, he more than likely, they'd been a part of his family, and they were going to become family, and he was expecting grandchildren and all of that, and they weren't coming either. And he was having a hard time convincing his immediate family it was time to go. He was in no hurry for the judgment to come. I'm going to give Lot a little bit of break here. There are a lot of people that really pound him hard. But it's hard for a husband to leave his wife, and it's hard for a father to leave his children behind for the judgment of God to strike. And he was having a hard time convincing them. And so he was having a hard time looking in the mirror and convincing himself, i got to get out of here because judgment's coming. Remember, he was a righteous man. And notice now the compassion of the Lord. I love this part, the compassion of the Lord. He is patient and he is slow. Not slow in some, as he said in Peter, some think that he's slow, but he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And he's after and he's seeking the salvation of Lot. Notice the compassion of the Lord. So the two angels seized him. They seized him and his wife, and his two daughters by the hand. God was compassionate. The two angels grabbed them by the hand. You got two angels. That's how many hands? Two angels, how many hands? 
How many people? Four. How many does it take to grab four people? Four hands, two angels. And each angel got two people. One angel got Lot and his wife. One angel got the two girls. They seized them by the hand. Why would they do that? It says it in the text. Moses says, the Lord being merciful to them. He was showing them his mercy, his grace. Remember, Lot is going to be saved the same way as Abraham was saved. We're saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourself, but it's the gift of God, not by their own righteousness, but by God's righteousness. He seizes them by the hand, shows them his mercy, and in spite of their resistance and their rebellion and their hesitation, he grabs them by the hand to show him how merciful he is, and he brought him out and set him outside the city. He safely brought them out, set them down outside of the city. Just boom, you're there, and then they released him. That's the compassion of the Lord. Let me ask you about those of us who are saved today. When you were saved, you were living this life down here, wallowing in your own life, and your own sinful, rebellious, carnal, sinful nature, and God, in his compassion, reached down in the pit of your depravity and your lostness and your damnation, grabbed you by the hand, pulled you out of that, and set you and planted you on the righteousness of Christ, not your own. For by grace, through faith, we are saved. And when he did that, he did that to show his compassion for you. He reached down and snatched you out of your lostness and your damnation and saved your soul. That's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. And if he hasn't done that for you, I hope he does that for you today. But when the, when the Lord knocks on the door of your heart and he calls you unto himself to be saved, don't delay. Because the time to answer is when he knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. If any man or woman hears my voice and opens the door, I will save their soul. Do it without delay. Number four, abandon all your anxiety or all your fear. Abandon all your anxiety and all your fear. Notice God's directive or God's direction once he plants them down. He he drags them out and he Boom, they sit them down, and now God gives them a direction through the angels. And as they brought them out of the city, one of the angels, one of the messengers, said to them, Escape for your life. What's at stake? Their life. If you don't escape, you're going to die. What's at stake in salvation? Our lives, our eternal destinies. Do not look back or stop Anywhere in the valley, escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. He says, remove yourself completely from Sodom. Run the opposite direction. Remove yourself from Sodom. Resist looking back. You're going to be tempted as you're running away to look back. Man, there's so many biblical principles there. I, I, I don't have time, but I wish you did. And some of you know the Bible well enough to know what I'm talking about. Don't, you can't hold the plow and look back. Resist looking back. Refuse to settle and to stop along the way. Because if you remember when Lot first saw the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah was, remember when he and Abraham first got to the promised land and they were standing on that hill and they looked down the valley, what did it look like? It looked like the Garden of Eden. 
And that's what Lot wanted. And the angel and the Lord knew that when Lot was running past that valley to go up into the mountains that he was sending him to, back into the desert, back into the, the wilderness where he came from, because they had been in the wilderness and they came to the valley, and Lot said, I want that, man, that's awesome. Look how beautiful it is. It looks like the garden. He knew when Lot was running from that, he said, Don't stop along the way. You keep running. Don't settle. I wonder how many of us have settled. Until you reach the mountains. Until you reach the mountains. Don't settle till you reach your destination. Notice Lot's disagreement. Can you imagine this? It blew me away when I read this again. I've said it many times, it still blows me away. And Lot says to them, and Lot, he's got an answer. He says to them, Oh, no, my lords. You know what he says to them? No way, Jose. I'm not doing it. I, I don't like it. Th that's not where I want The mountains? You know, I had that opportunity with Abraham, and I chose the, the valley down here that looked like the Garden of Eden, and you're sending me back to the mountains? I don't want to go back to the mountains. Life is hard there. I don't have all the green stuff and all the fruit and all the wonderful grains and grains and all that. I don't have, not there, no, my Lord. Did you notice the hypocrisy? He calls them lords. The, the word Lord means someone in a position of authority. And these angels have the authority of God telling Lot where to go. And he has the audacity to argue with the directions of God saying, not going there. Now, Lot's smart enough to know that when you disagree with God, you better put on a pretty good defense. And some of you know what I'm talking about. When you've refused to go where God wants you to go, you present your case and you put on a pretty good defense as to why you don't want to go there because it doesn't look very promising. And notice what he says in the text. He says, Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. In his defense, notice what he acknowledges. He says, I'm your servant, Lord. Really? If you're his servant, wouldn't you go where God told you to go? <laughs> I'm your servant. I know I have found favor. I know you've bestowed mercy and grace upon me by saving my life. I know that you are a kind God for saving me. I acknowledge how incredibly wonderful and gracious and kind and loving you are toward me who is undeserving. But notice in his argument, but, you know, whenever, whenever somebody comes and tells you some great things about how, what they like about you, you better watch out. You know, they make an appointment and they sit down and are you in a coffee shop and and, and you're having a conversation, and they start the conversation out with how great you are and how wonderful you are and how much they love you and like you. And then I keep thinking, what's coming next? They're setting you up. Lots setting God up. And here's the argument. I cannot escape to the hills. God, here's the reason I can't go where you want me to go. Least a disaster overtake me and I die. A disaster is an unknown entity, an unknown circumstance, maybe caused by some catastrophic, uh, you know, atmospheric thing or maybe by an enemy that may happen to come. There might be some disaster that would overtake me and I would die. 
Uh, too many unknowns out there. Too many uncertainties out there. There's a disaster going to happen. And how am I going to protect and provide for myself? When an idiot, he won't trust God. He would rather trust himself than trust God. If I follow you, Lord, how can I protect myself? How can I provide for myself? How can I defend myself? What if something happens? You know, it's better to be in the will of God, in the center of the will of God, than outside of the will of God, because that's the safest place you could possibly be. And then he makes the, what I call the big ask. He's acknowledged, he presented his argument, now the ask. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. It's of no consequence to you at all. It's, it's not going to take much for you to do what I'm asking. It's just a little city. It's, it's small. It's insignificant. I know it's one of the five, Sodom, Gomorrah, and Zor is one of the five providence around the area. It's a very small, very insignificant place. However, if I go there, I will be saved. Really? Spare this one, Lord, and let me go live there, and I'll be saved. He's putting his hope in the wrong thing. You know, I think there's been a lot of people that have struggled with their decision to follow Christ, and in their struggle to follow and to be saved, they have a tendency to look back and look at all the things they have to give up, and all the things they have to surrender, and all the don'ts rather than all the do's and the get-to's and the blessings and the promises and the benefits. And sometimes we have a tendency, I think, if we're going to follow the Lord, to put our anxieties, our insecurities, and our uncertainties and our fears ahead of our faith, and we just have a problem trusting God to be the one who will provide for us. Because, you know, the reality is we've been providing for ourselves pretty good, okay, so far, God, so we don't really need you, unless we get in a jam, and then we need you. I'll handle things pretty much the way I want to, and you'll let me go over here and do what I want, but, you know, if it doesn't work out, God, I'll come back to you, but, but right now, I, I think I can handle this. I know judgment's coming, but send me to Zor over here, where I've got all the city luxuries and all the fine living, and I know I can be protected and provide for myself. He's been doing that his whole life. It's hard to release and to relieve yourself from that, that burden of, of, of self-centeredness and self-provision and completely trust God. I get it. It's a, it's a lifelong struggle, isn't it? I said it's a lifelong struggle, isn't it, church? Well, we got to get there sometime. And so we need to abandon anxieties and fears and uncertainties and insecurities if we're going to completely trust God to provide. And then lastly, act decisively. Act decisively. Notice in the text, verse 21, he said to him, the angel said to Lot, notice God's permission, God permits him to do this, and we could go to a long theological discussion about the sovereign will of God and the, the will of man and all that, but we're not going to go there. We're just going to quietly just skip over that, Mike, so don't worry about that. Come to Mike's theology class. You can get in that discussion with him. I did not promote my class today, by the way. I promoted yours. So, Behold, he says, pay attention, as if God needed to be reminded to pay attention to listen. <laughs> I grant you this favor. Behold, Lot, I grant you this favor. Who's the I? 
not the angel, but the Lord. I, the Lord, grant you this favor. I like that word, also. I like the word also. Not only have I shown you a lot of favor up until now, I'm going to show you this favor also. God's given him a lot of grace. He's given him a lot of mercy. He's been incredibly patient and kind. And I'm going to do this one thing for you also. That I will not overthrow the city in which you have spoken. Notice the promise. I'll not destroy Zor. Escape there quickly. That's the purpose for not destroying Zor is so that he can escape there quickly because judgment is coming and he doesn't, God doesn't want Lot to be judged, to receive the judgment that's not rightfully his. For I can do nothing till you arrive there. He's going to stay at his hand until that happens. And notice how God provides for him. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. God provides a place for Lot to go called Zor. And we know what happens in the story. It's at this point, Lot gets up from where he's been sitting in this conversation with these two angels, and he proceeds towards Zor. He acts decisively, and by faith, he begins to move as he trusts in the promises, the protection, and the provisions of God. So how do we close with this, this, this whole synopsis of this story? Well, I want to go back real quickly to, to really five things for the believer. They're, they're not on the outline there, so you're going to have to take some extra notes. By the way, this is the last time we're going to do fill in the blank for a while. I've been treating you guys too easily. I'm, you're just going to have to make your own notes from now on. You're not going to have any more fill in the blank. So this is the last time for a couple of months. We're just going to let you fill in the blank yourselves. Just kind of listen to the Lord. But anyway, here's, here's five things for the believer. I'm going to do them quickly. Number one. Remove yourself completely from the world. If you're a believer, we must, like Lot, remove ourselves completely from the world from which we live. This world is not our home. We are not of this world. We belong to the Lord, and we are citizens of another world, another country, another place. This is not our permanent dwelling place. So we need to remove ourselves completely and totally from the filth of this world. Number two, resist as you're moving toward that which God has for you. Resist looking back at the world that you're leaving behind. Don't listen to its enticements. Don't listen to its call. Don't listen to its tricks. Don't listen to its, its facade. And it's, 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 it, it puts on this appearance of, of, of good and likable and pleasure and joy. But it's only momentary. It doesn't last forever. For the jo- Sin is fun, people. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, people wouldn't be doing it. But the fun only lasts a little bit. The consequences and the pain and the heartache last a lifetime. Tell somebody that's been tempted to have an affair and they have one, how that has wrecked and ruined the rest of their lives. Check someone out who has taken one sip of alcohol when they know they're an alcoholic, how that has wrecked and ruined their entire lives. It does promise pleasure, but it's only for a season. And the pleasure that's found in faith in Christ lasts an eternity, 
compared to the pleasures of this world. And the world has a way of just, come on, come on, come on. Look how good I am. You want me. You do. Gossip a little bit. It's fun. Destroy someone's character. Yeah, we're just not talking about the big sins. We're talking about the little ones too. It can be just as pleasurable like gossip or lying or covetousness or lust or greed or pride. Refuse to settle and to stop along the way. Lot was encouraged. Refuse to stop and settle on the way. As you're moving forward into the destiny that I have called you to live, don't settle and don't stop along the way. It gets better. There's more to come. Continue the journey. And sometimes we have a tendency, whether we get tired or whether we get lured by the world that we're in, Lord, this is as far as I need to go or want to go and can go, so I'm just, this is it. Discipleship is a lifetime journey that that requires that we not settle and we not stop along this long journey of moving into the likeness of Christ. Secondly, we need to reach for God's best. That's That's what Lot was encouraged to do. Continue the journey until you reach the destination that I have intended for you, and that is the wilderness. That's the mountaintop. We settle for valleys when God intended for us to live on the mountaintop. And we need to resolve to warn others along the way. Because guaranteed, I know that many of us here know many different people who are completely unaware of the coming judgment that's soon to come. And I said soon. If you're not a believer, all you need to do is to receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord. We're, not, we're saved by grace through faith. Meaning, I'm not saved by my own righteousness, by my own works, by my own anything. I'm saved by what Christ did on the cross for me. And what he did on the cross for me, he did for you. He took upon himself your sin against God, died in your place, became the sacrificial lamb of God that absorbed the wrath of God. All of God's wrath was placed upon Jesus on that cross, and he died for you. That if you confess with your mouth, it says, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ rose him from the dead, you will be, not maybe, but you will be saved. For it is with a heart one believes, and it is with a heart that one is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I like this part. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord, and are you saved? He's reaching down and wanting to pull you up. Let's pray.
song inside.